podcast has bad words. <laughs> Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we're talking about, well, we're talking about Spartanism. We're talking about compulsive decluttering. But I've got these cartoons about consumerism that I want to talk to you about as well, Ryan. I've been collecting them for a while, <laughs> and now I have the compulsion to let go of them. I can't not let go of them. Oh, there's, that's great. I love how everything we do is steeped in irony. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love ironing. I ironed the shirt this morning. It was. <laughs> I think there's a question about that, actually. Similar. Is there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Ironing. Anyway. We'll, we'll get to the surprise questions here in a bit, but let's start with some more about less. I've got an article here from The Atlantic. It is called The Opposite of Hoarding, which, Sean, this could be a, a good podcast title. Mm. For some, the need to shed possessions is a life-consuming illness, but the culture embrace the cultural embrace of decluttering can make it hard to seek help. This is by Leslie Garrett. Let's read this, then we can talk about it, Ryan. Cool. As long as she can remember, Annabelle Charbit has loathed stuff. She hated birthdays because birthdays meant gifts, and gifts meant finding a way to toss them. At f- they're describing me. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like they could have just been a Jehovah's Witness and they would have no problem with birthdays. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all of your- so wait, are Jehovah's Witnesses the original Spartanists? <laughs> you are Greek, so there's something here. There's something there, yeah. Nicodemus. At five years old, Charbit... Would, see, would sneak toys into her younger brother's room. <laughs> God, this... I didn't have this as a kid. Like, I was an organized hoarder, but, like, I understand the mindset of this yeah, in a way. Right. By age 10, she was stashing her belongings in alleys around her London neighborhood. At 13, she discovered charity stores smuggling bags past her parents and out the door. This is great, man. Living on her own in her 20s, Charbit, now 41, continued her Spartan ways, eschewing even lamps. I would be in semi-darkness, she says. Mm -hmm. Currently, a neuroscience researcher at the University of California, San Francisco, Charbit was obsessively decluttering before the word really existed in popular culture. Google... Nagram, which starts... Oh, what is that? That's an ingram. Google ingram, which starts the use of certain words in book titles, shows that declutter first came into use in the 1970s. Mm. Its popularity shooting up through the 80s, 90s, and first decade of the 21st century. According to the Oxford University Press, the term has only added to the 20 was only added to the 20 volume Oxford English Dictionary in June 2015. Mm. So it wasn't a dictionary word until 2015. Oh, wow. We were the minimalist before decluttering, apparently. <laughs> wow. Today, women's magazines routinely urge readers to purge. Personal organizers offer to coach clients in their pursuit of minimalist perfection. Earlier this year, Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which promises to help people achieve the unique magic of a tidy home, became a bestseller. But for some people, the cultural embrace of decluttering can provide cover for a more problematic behavior. Quote, Do we just assume that decluttering is a good thing because it's the opposite of hoarding? 
says Vivian Diller, a psychologist in New York who has worked with patients like Charbit who compulsively rid themselves of their possessions. Being organized and throwing things out and being efficient is applauded in our society because it is productive. But you can take somebody who cannot tolerate mess or cannot sit still without cleaning or throwing things out, and we're still talking about a symptom. Mm. Unlike hoarding, which was officially reclassified as a disorder in 2017, compulsive decluttering doesn't appear as its own entry in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM. Instead, it's typically considered a manifestation of obsessive-compulsive disorder. So here's the thing. I think that hoarding is a type of OCD. I, as someone sure. who has OCD, now I get that now they're saying hoarding is separate from OCD. This is the problem we talked about in the minimal episode. Can we diagnose and label everything? Yeah. Is it different from OCD? Is it the same thing? Who cares? Yeah. What's the essence of it? What's the actual problem? It has nothing to do with the word. The word simply is describing the problem. Yeah. And if our problem is that we can't let go of anything, you can call it hoarding. I don't care what you call it. You can call it uh, holding on to things-ism. Whatever works for you, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly it, man. It's like, what do you want to call it? Right. <laughs> whatever helps you live a, a better life or helps you get through whatever it is you're trying to get through, you call it whatever you want. Whatever helps you identify yeah. what's going on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't need a word for that at all. You can sit with something mm -hmm. without needing to label it. Yeah. Yeah, some of the, the mystics, like like uh, J. Krishnamurti, for example, will say as soon as you label a thing, you cease to see it. Mm. And and I think that becomes true because if you say like, oh, look at that bird, and now it's just like every, everything that's flying in the sky is a bird, mm. but you're not seeing the individual bird and the beauty of it. Yeah. As soon as you've, you've sort of labeled it, you've you've put it in a cage, a type you're putting that bird in a, a type of cage yeah. in a way. However... If we're talking amongst each other, we need to use words to describe these things. So while I'm not diagnosis happy, I am in a way uh, concerned that if we simply label it and say, oh, well, that's my problem. It's like we were talking about the Enneagram stuff last week or two weeks ago, whenever that was. And it's like, if it's just like, well, now I'm going to use this to justify my bad behavior. Oh, just because I'm a three, just because I'm a seven. Right. And, and it's like, well, okay, maybe I am a three on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Maybe you are a seven. Mm -hmm. But maybe that gives me insight into my cultural conditioning, my programming. If so, great. If it, I've used it to now make an excuse for every crappy thing I do to other people, yeah. then it's disempowering. Yeah, yeah. Right? these labels are meant to help us understand, not meant to be used as excuses for sure. So, this, so I wonder though, is there like, so there's different levels of hoarding. Uh-huh. Five levels. Are there different levels of Spartanism? I, not that I've, I haven't seen any sort of definitive chart around this. Yeah. Uh, maybe the article will illuminate this a bit. But I, there are certainly, if there aren't levels, there's certainly a continuum. Sure. You and I have a friend, we won't mention his name, but we used to work with him in, in certain capacities. And he, I mean, he sort of just went off the deep end and, and sabotaged his marriage, sabotaged his relationship with his kids, mm. sabotaged his career, got rid of all of his stuff. I, mean, I remember being a little concerned about him, and I was trying to console him in a way. When I got a picture at, right after his divorce, I, and I understand people get divorced all the time. I've been divorced. Mm. I got this picture from him of his new apartment, and there was a cot in it, and that was it. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah. 
if you want if you're doing so intentionally but i could tell that he was struggling with holding on to the world around him mm. and so in order for him to let go of the past psychologically he had to let go of everything that was meaningful to him or at mm. least that's what he thought mm. return to the article here says i see it all the time people rarely come into my office because they have a problem with being too efficient or wanting to declutter Diller says, but the problem usually makes itself known in other ways. They're not sleeping at night and they're feeling jittery and irritable. They'll sit in my office and straighten my pillows. They're not comfortable until everything is in order. Now, that, that's, just, that's not describing Spartanism. That's just describing OCD. That's something yes. that I've struggled with for a long time. And I struggle with it, especially when I was a hoarder, mm. putting everything in order. Yeah. And I thought the way to control my hoard was to organize it that's the reason last week we talked about organizing being well-planned hoarding there's an entire section and a lot of people use things about this right and and so yes the desire to well to calm the chaos often manifests in us trying to order the physical world around us now where it becomes spartanism is when we instead of tidying those pillows or whatever we're like getting rid of them it's it's the the gal who is sneaking the toys out into the alley because she can't stand to have them or she's putting them in her brother's room or because she can't stand the stuff yeah now it could be that she just couldn't stand the stuff right and because it was the stuff that wasn't adding value to her life that's where minimalism comes in if the average American household has 300,000 items, most of the, the things that are getting in the way of the things, like this, we have a beautiful new couch here in our studio that Beulah picked out for us. Now, it's functional, and I don't have a desire to declutter that to get rid of it at all. Mm-mm. But imagine if we had 300,000 items in the studio, we'd have to pile some of them on top of the couch, yeah. and it would render the couch useless, right. functionless, or it would have, we'd be you. Ut- we'd be utilizing it to utilize something is to use it for something other than its intended use. Mm. And if we turn that into just a storage unit, that's not its intended use. And so maybe, maybe as a kid, she just had the quote unquote wrong things, the things that weren't adding value to her life. And that's really where minimalism comes in for me is identifying what does add value because Ryan and I get far more value from the the fewer things that we have, that's the, the paradox of minimalism. Yeah. It's interesting. I think minimalism can help hoarders, obviously, but I think it could also help Spartanists. Oh, yeah. Expand on that. That's great. Well, I mean, it's it's like, uh, you know, a tool to help you find the middle ground. So yeah. it's hard to, for a hoarder, it's hard to, you know, make a decision on what to let go of. And for a Spartanist, it's hard to, uh, to make a decision on what to hold on to. But when you take a minimalist approach, you, you start to understand your values. You start to ask that question. So <laughs> with a hoarder, the question is, how might my life be better with less? A Spartanist, the question is, how might my life be better with more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a way. Or, or maybe the, the more empowering thing for them is because more to them is so, they're like allergic to more, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So how might my life be better with things that add value to my life. Yeah, right. Be- because, unfortunately, if you take a Spartanist and then you're like, wow, there's a bunch of hoarders out here, let's just give them a little bit of that hoard. 
Mm. Yeah, we'll give them five percent of the hoarder stuff. Oh man! And that, now you're just making them more miserable. You're making the hoarder more miserable as well. Why? Because mm. there's not an understanding of what this stuff or lack of stuff is doing to us. Yeah, man. If anything, like this article is really helping me. I don't know. Just understand and feel even better about talking about how minimalism is this middle ground. It's not a radical lifestyle. It's a practical lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I love how you can use minimalism actually to bring more things into your life, physical things that is, Mm -hmm. or relationships. I mean, other things too. Yes. But I never really looked at minimalism that way or ever thought that we're going to, we're going to help people bring things into their life. But in this extreme case, yes. Um, you, it's a valuable tool to help bring things into your life, the appropriate things. Well, the thing in the book that we talk about is you minimalists don't focus on having less, less, less. We focus on having more, more, more. Yeah. And yes, it starts with the less stuff, mm-hmm. but that's not the Spartanist problem, right? right? The, Spartan, the Spartanist um, doesn't need fewer items. They need a better understanding that the constant running away from everything mm-hmm is not going to bring them joy. Joy is not around the bend. It is inside you already. Mm-hmm. It can only be uncovered. It, it can't be ran. It, you can't run to a destination and say, here is where joy is. Right. It already arises in you. Now, quite often with hoarders, that joy is covered up by the stuff. With, with the Spartanist, it is not covered up by things, but it is, it is masked by the inability to stay anywhere yeah and maybe there's even a comfort thing with this Mm. where i'm not comfortable with myself the same thing with the hoarder right Mm -hmm. for me when i was a hoarder it was man i feel incomplete in Mm. an empty room and instead of addressing what incompletes me Mm -hmm. it was i'll fill that void with the stuff and i can imagine if i had turned to spartanism as the antidote to that it would have been because, oh, look, I feel incompleted by all of these things. And therefore, if I could just get rid of all of them, then I will be more complete. Mm-hmm. Well, you're complete either way. Mm-hmm. Getting rid of the things or getting more things is not going to make you more complete. So how does one get to feeling like they're complete? Like, how, I mean, I could talk about my journey getting there, but I'm curious, like, how did you get there? Josh. Yeah, I think I think it is through that understanding. So, what is it? What does it mean to understand? To it means to be aware of something means that you see it. You actually see it for what it is without trying to change it. To understand it is to see the thing you're seeing. And there there aren't kids who feel incomplete, mm-hmm. right? It is taught to us that we are incomplete. Now, unfortunately, a lot of that is taught by corporations and marketers and advertisers and statisticians who have found rather complex ways of making us realize we are incomplete but we aren't but we aren't it's a, it's a false realization yeah right mm-hmm. and, and so, so like if i were to come up to you and rub your arm gently and it felt like water was running down your arm mm-hmm you would feel like there was water running down your arm, but as soon as you became aware of it, you wouldn't say, oh, yeah, that, that's still water running down my arm. I'd just be like, oh, that's Josh's soft fingers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or maybe, like, let's say you, you pick up a, um, a piece of luggage, mm-hmm. 
and you start carrying it with you mm-hmm. and you're holding the handle and then 10, 15 steps in, you realize it's not a handle, it's a snake. Mm-hmm. You, as soon as you have, you've seen the, see, the thing that you see, you, now you have an understanding. Mm-hmm. Now, the hoarder, metaphorically here, I'm going to hold on to this until it becomes a handle. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. The Spartanists would have never picked it up in the first place. Right. right? And in fact, they would have, uh, if they would have actually seen the luggage, they would, have, they would have gotten rid of the luggage that would have served them on their journey. Mm-hmm. But the person who sees the snake doesn't need the how-to. They don't need the, well, okay, what are the six ways for me to drop this piece of luggage? Yeah. They've realized it's not even a piece of luggage anymore. So without their own volition... They simply let it go. Mm. And that's the difference, I think, between minimalism and Spartanism. Minimalism doesn't require the volition. that A Spartanist is the volition of the willingness to always let go of everything no matter what. That, that can be useful, but the inability to not let go mm. can be crippling. Yeah. The minimalist says, okay, I'm going to see the things for what they are. Some of them are utilities. Some of the things are beautiful and they bring me joy or aesthetic pleasure or whatever. Fine. Mm -hmm. Those things are wonderful in that capacity. But as soon as I cling to them, I become a hoarder. As soon as I can't enjoy them at all, I become the Spartanist. Mm. Yeah. Man, I'm just, I, I, so I'm I'm trying to, and, and maybe you don't have a direct answer, but I'm trying to see how you got to, because I am curious like to see how you got to the point of feeling complete in an empty room. It's just seeing that I am. And, mm. and so that, that's, that is my direct answer. It's just mm. like a kid sees that they are. That they haven't been made to feel hmm. incomplete yet. Interesting. At some point, though, probably somewhere between ages four and nine, kids start to feel an inadequacy. Mm. I even heard Ella say it. Sometimes, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that. Oh, and there's an incompleteness to that, an yeah. inadequacy. Yeah, and and so we feel inadequate. We feel insignificant, and we think, and especially me, I'm a type three on the enneagram, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what what is you know what is my sort of deadly sin there? And mm-hmm. it is the need for significance or success and an outward appearance of 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 success right yeah and so at at my worst or or as ian cron would say at my least healthy i will uh, the the it's more important to me to project a successful image than it actually is to be content with myself yeah and so that has been beaten into me by society Mm. it wasn't there when i was four years old when i was three years old the, the feeling of being incomplete. So I was already complete. Mm. What The question then is, what has incompleted us over the last 35, 37 years? You know, now that we're at age 40. Speak what are for all- yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You're still 39. You're still 30-something. That's right. <laughs> but what, is, what are the things that have incompleted us? Because uh, we were already... We were already there. Yeah. And now we're trying to get there. But you can't get there because you're already, it already exists mm. within you. Seeing who you are. How did you phrase that? You see you for who you are. That's beautiful. That's not the way I said it. I don't remember how I said it, but I really like that, yeah. that rephrasing. That's yeah. way better than I said it. 
Yeah, man. I, I think about for me, the feeling of complete and I really, and I, I don't know, I've come to this realization and I keep refining it, but I've come to this realization a few years ago, but the most recent I can think of where I had a conversation about this was with a friend who uh, was asking me about a YouTuber who, you know, basically like shredded our less is now documentary and this sure. thing had like 5 million views or something. He's a very popular YouTuber. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he, he sent me, well, he actually didn't send me the video. He said his son had seen it and his son was so excited that he knew someone who this YouTuber was talking about, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of funny. And I didn't think anything of it, but then someone's like someone DM me the video or something like, Hey, have you seen this? It's blown up on YouTube. And then I went to go watch it and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Like this is not blowing up for the right reasons. <laughs> right. But you know, uh, I, I really, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I kind of went through it and it didn't bother me at all, man. Mm. I mean, 4 million views of this guy just like, totally shredding us and why didn't it bother you because i feel complete it's uh, because i really have worked hard to really like the person that i see in the mirror yeah and there's always some nitpicking i can do when i'm looking in the mirror mm-hmm. but by and large it's like you know, i go out of my way to be as genuine as possible to share the truths that i have uh come across over the last 10 years right and they are truths and that's what makes it genuine Mm -hmm. and you know beyond that i don't know what else i can do because one of the things that my friend asked me he was like well would you be willing to have him on your podcast i'm like sure i'm like i don't know what that would do but yeah i mean i'd be willing to have pretty much anyone on our podcast especially someone who can speak well and have a you know good conversation and um, yeah, we'll totally be down to do that. He's like, yeah, I think you should do that. Like to, you know, like to try and change his mind or to mm. like, or to like, you know, try and change his audience's mind because you know, my, his son is 13 years old. You know, my son's watching this and I'm like, man, you know, first off, there are plenty of 13 year olds out there who really love what we do sure, and show up at our events and they bring their parents. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried about the, you know, that generation, um, getting this message or not. There's, just like adults, some do, some don't, some agree with it, some don't. But yeah, I just had to tell him, I'm like, look, man, we're not, our job is not to change people's minds. To convince you. Yeah, our job is not to convince you of anything. Like the fact that Josh and I get to share a story and it resonates with people and people find value in it, like that's that's what I focus on. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so just getting back to that whole complete thing, it's, we talk about it a lot, man, you know, with, uh, you know, how do you live a meaningful life? It's your short-term actions aligned with those long-term values. Your actions align with your values. And it's really hard. I was, I was on Instagram live yesterday, just talking to some folks about the new book. And I brought a few people on the camera and we just had some conversations. I remember talking to this gal and basically she's like, Hey, look, I get so, I get so overwhelmed because how do I convince people in my family not to keep giving me stuff i'm like you don't have to convince them of anything mm-hmm. you can simply i said i tell you what like, what if i just gave you here i've got this glass right here if you're watching the video version let's say i broke this in three pieces and i then i gave it to you what, what would you say she said i'd say no thank you mm-hmm. i said well, well wait but this glass is really sentimental to me my grandma used to own this glass mm-hmm. and i wanted to give i understand it's broken and you probably don't have a use for it but it really is meaningful to me yeah. what would you say then she's like i would say no thanks Oh, okay. 
exactly. And she's like, but I, I can't, I'm trying to, I can't convince them that what I'm doing is right. And I'm like, well, what you're doing isn't right. It's not wrong either. Mm-hmm. And the desire to convince them is the only r- real problem here. Yeah. Because you can simply say no, just like with the, the criticism you got, you can say, okay, like you're entitled to do that. Mm-hmm. But my desire, and I get it, I still, the, the desire still arises in me to try to convince others. Yeah. But that's not to love someone. To convince someone is to unlove them. Mm. To persuade them in a way is to unlove them. Because what are you doing? You're not seeing things for the way they are. You're, you're saying, I see them one way, you see them a different way. And the only way for equanimity here is if we're both on the same page. Mm. But why is that necessary? Equanimity doesn't require that I'm on the same page with 8 billion other people on this planet. We were having dinner with uh, Josh Wolf a couple weeks ago, and he had this really fascinating thing. He's, he's always struggled with significance, he said, in the comedy community, like the, at the comedy store, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, he's way more popular of a comedian than a lot of the comedians there, right? Yeah. But he finds himself trying to impress the comedians at the comedy store sometimes even more than the people who were there to watch the comedy. Mm. And he said this comedian came up to him one day and said, hey, man, I noticed you had like a, a video with 80 million views on it. And um, how many more do you need mm-hmm. before you're going to be happy? Mm. How many more people do you need to convince that you're funny? <laughs> and man, how, how powerful was that, right? Mm-hmm. Anthony DeMello says that you can have 999 attachments and fulfill all of them, but it's the one attachment that you don't fulfill that is going to make you miserable. Yeah. And so that attachment to, I need to change your mind. Mm. I need you to see this from my perspective. I need to convince you that I'm right. That inadvertently places me on a pedestal. Mm. And by putting me on that pedestal, it makes me look down on, on other people. That's not a place where I want to be. Mm. And so the only, the only acceptable answer for me at this point is I understand. You know, no thanks. I don't want the glass. Oh, yeah, but it's really important. It's really mm. sentimental to me. It's really whatever. I understand that. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Mm. But it's not meaningful to me. Yeah. And I hope you can understand that. Yeah. I mean, I think what, what I'm hearing you talk about is you know, this level of acceptance that we all want. I mean, Josh Wolf wants to be accepted. I want to be accepted. You want to be, we all have this desire to be accepted, uh, maybe even significant, certainly respected, certainly understood. So th- when, when someone misunderstands us, when someone doesn't respect us, um, when someone doesn't accept us, like it creates all of this, well, what did I do wrong? Why, why doesn't this person see? And I used to get there, and I do get there sometimes still, but just getting back to when you can feel whole yourself, when you can accept yourself, it's so much easier for me now mm-hmm. to like to, to look at someone and say, as you say, mm-hmm. or I understand. Because yeah. even like that, that YouTuber who shredded our documentary, mm-hmm. he was like, what, uh, like one of the first things he said was, he's like, I noticed that this was like a, a written talk like uh and then i started uh googling and i found i found uh some ted talks that these guys did and mm-hmm. it looks like uh you know most of this documentary was just their two ted talks combined together i was like yeah 
uh-huh okay <laughs> all right like yeah. as you say like you're but uh, but i could look at that and not take it as an insult as much as like oh like he's making an observation he's forming an opinion around this observation mm-hmm. and he's allowed to feel the way he feels yes and uh i don't know i mean i don't 10 years ago i don't think i could have got there so easily no but now it's there is this level of just accepting myself like that's and, to, and again, to get there, it's values, uh, your actions aligning with your values. Is there any, like, what else would you say? Like, to help someone accept themselves, for someone to see them as they are, mm-hmm. is there anything addition uh, that you can think of that you've done or maybe I've done that I'm not seeing of, besides our actions aligning with our our values? It's the, it's the not needing the externalities. Some of those things can be the acceptance of others, right? Because mm-hmm. here's the weird thing about the acceptance part. Hmm is you just talked about accepting yourself. That's one thing. And it's not prescriptive because you can't prescriptively accept yourself, right? Exactly, right? yeah. Even the acceptance, another word for that is understanding, mm. right? It's understanding the way things are mm. without trying to change them, without volition, right? Mm. And so the needing the external things, even someone else's acceptance, mm-hmm. well, what does that do? It means that my own acceptance is not enough. Yeah. It makes us feel as though I am not enough. Okay, fine. What is enough for you then? Well, I need these seven people to accept me. Okay, that's mm. the rule you've set up for yourself. Mm. What happens when you get all seven of them and then one of them stops accepting you? Now yeah. now you've outsourced your contentment to someone else's acceptance. Yeah. And, and so needing, it's okay to get the acceptance of others. Mm-hmm. If other people accept me, wonderful. The moment I need it, I begin to chase it. Yeah. And as soon as I chase it, the misery arises within me. Yeah. And the needing, because I used to need it. Yes. And I do, and I do and in some respects, right? Like, or I have a compulsion for it. Maybe I don't need it. But right. again, like when you can look in the mirror and be like, man, I really like that person that I see. Like yes. that you don't need it nearly as much but it hurts man sometimes you got family you got friends you got famous youtubers Uh who are judging you and they're telling you hey i don't accept you and you're not enough and i don't respect you and Mm -hmm. and it's hard to get past that but i think there is like a deep level of i don't know man just a deep level of acceptance for oneself that uh, I've been able to get to that really helps you brush that stuff off. Again, you can't prescribe it. I don't. I'm trying to like dig a little bit deeper to see like how I got there. I, I don't have any other words to describe it. Right. The the reason that you don't is because the how I got there implies use it as a metaphor implies there's a path there. Right. But any path becomes a chase. Sure. It could be a slow chase, but it's still a chase. It's already there. The acceptance mm. is already there. You're already already there. It's simply seeing things for the way. Even when I was morbidly obese, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Why did that change? It wasn't through habit change. It was seeing myself for the way the way things were. Yeah. Oh, and then realizing that this part of me is unacceptable. This mm. is excess. literally but also figuratively Mm. excess as soon as i accepted that then the behaviors began to change on their own Mm. Mm. let's get back to this article i think we can so um she says scientists are still aren't sure exactly what causes ocd okay what if i said well what causes it is you ate seven blueberries when you were age two (laughs) 
Right. Who can't can- go back and uneat blueberries. Right. <laughs> what causes it? Which is typically treated with therapy and medication. Well, that's absurd. Okay. I mean, fine. If you want to, if you want to go to therapy, but the the treatment to OCD is understanding. That's the only treatment for mm. it, right? You can have medication that might help out or whatever. Yeah. Um, and but my God, we've. It seems as though you know we talked about the diagnosing thing. We've diagnosed everything in order to, here's a pill to fix that. Anthony, Anthony DeMello's new book is called um, Stop Fixing Yourself. Mm. And you know, it's about the, the problem with, with prescriptions to, to a great extent. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's a bit absurd, but we'll get into the, the details here. What they do know is that the condition causes sufferers to lock onto distressing thoughts, obsession. Yep, that is, I, I suffer much more from obsession than I do compulsion. Mm, yeah. yeah and i think i think the difference between a hoarder and a spartanist might be the obsession and the compulsion yeah sort of thing they call it obsessive i'm sorry they call it compulsive decluttering and then uh hoarding is more of obsessive compulsive decluttering anyway uh, generating anxiety that can only be soothed by performing a particular compulsion Right now, you see this manifest in different ways. The people who have to turn the doorknob three times, or utter a phrase seven times repeatedly before they can get on a phone call or something. Right, mm-hmm. and while those ticks don't don't arise in me, other ticks do, and you see it some days. And I'll talk to Bex about this sometimes, and I'll just say, "Hey, I want to give you a heads up. It's not you, but I'm having a serious flare of of OCD right now, yeah. and I'm obsessing about everything." that's uh, around me in my environment and there's this desire to want to control everything mm. around me but as soon as i see that i can sit with it without needing to act upon it right mm. if there is an action that is required then i will act upon it but i can pause first without needing to run around the house like the tasmanian devil yeah, arranging couch cushions and stuff right 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 mm. All right, well, we'll put a link. Yeah, Yeah, let's put a link to the article in the show notes. It goes on to talk about compulsive decluttering patients, so forth and so on. It is called the opposite of hoarding. I did want to point out something. Since we're getting ready to go on tour, Ryan, this is just for our patrons here. The, we have three tiers on Patreon. We have the private podcast basic tier, and then we have the true fans and the VIPs. VIP tier is full and has been full for a while now. There are about 250 true fan slots opened up right now. And the reason I bring that up is all of our live events are being filmed and the audio is being recorded as well, including the clubhouse sessions that I'm doing where I'm reading from the book. And... Um, all of those are going to be available to our patrons, the true fans, and the VIPs. If you're interested in them, no compulsion. I don't want to to convince you to do it. I just want you to be aware that that is available to you. If you can't attend our live events, all of them will be recorded and available to the true fans and the VIPs. You also get access to our video version of the podcast. And we have almost 50 of our monthly Ask the Minimalists sessions out there as well. You get access to that every single month. <laughs> I see your ATM note here. I'm like, what is ATM? <laughs> <laughs> it's an automated teller machine. Oh, right, right. Dude, I uh, I think the live events are my favorite things that we do. 
I'm so glad we're going back on tour because that's that's where the magic really happens. I feel like I agree that that individual interaction. By the way, one of the, one of the thing we're working on for for all patrons is we're going to start interacting with you live more. We're going to do a live version of the podcast. Well, th- these recordings we're doing right now, we're going to stream that live for Patreon only as soon as we have all the technology and the kinks worked out for that. And that could even mean that we bring some callers on live on air. And so we're we're working out all the 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 tech aspects of that currently um anyway uh, the past tour we've done nine tours in the last 10 years a lot of those were also filmed and or recorded as well so those past live events are also available to the true fans and the vips but we're going to do some streaming for all of our patrons as well yeah ryan i got some of these cartoons about consumerism Let's see what you got yeah why don't you uh read that one to describe the picture and then read the caption so we me. have a uh it looks like um bell from Beauty and the Beast. She's got her apron on. She even has like the three candlesticks. And then there's like an older couple, uh, which I don't know if this is, you know, parents or who it is. But the caption says, the poor thing has been in lockdown for so long. She's befriended household objects. Well, that's good. (laughs) So basically uh, what they're implying is, is that Belle was just in some kind of psychosis. Uh Uh-huh. As to why she was talking to the candlesticks and the teapots and all of those things. Oh, that's funny. I think if you're watching the video version, I'll hold this up here oh, so you can, you can see it. I got another one here for you, Ryan. Okay. Oh, this this one might be my favorite because this is how I was. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, there's someone uh, sitting in front of their closet and they're looking at their hoard. And their closet is packed to the brim with hats and coats and boots and shoes or I guess boots are shoes, but all different <laughs> types of shoes. Yeah, um, sneakers, so forth. Yeah, so uh, they're just sitting there contemplating the thought they're having to themselves is, it's been a while. I thought I'd stop by and see how you all were doing. That's kind of like what would happen with the stuff in my basement. Ryan's holding up for the camera here. But I almost like go down there. Remember I had the collection of magazines that we sometimes talk about. And I would go down there and I would just like flip through it real quick. Mm-hmm. Not because they got any value, but because I had a perverted version of the 90-90 rule, I mm. guess, where it was like, well, yeah, I guess I, I do still look at them from time to time. Right. I flipped through them. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, no, it was a task. Yeah. It, it, it became this obligation. Well, I better flip through this at once a year. Otherwise, uh, I can't justify holding on to them. Yeah. Or maybe, like, this cartoon also, I don't know, it, it tells me that this person is anthropomorphizing their clothes. Mm-hmm. And how many things do we do that with in our lives that are ridiculous for us to anthropomorphize? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Such a anthropomorphize. Yeah. Anthropomorphize. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's the whole point of the book, right? We, we love our things, right? Yeah. And so it's the, oh, I love... Whatever. I, I, I love this light here. I love this water glass. And I get what you mean by it, but at some point it's like, am I treating this like a human? Yeah. Am I accidentally treating the humans in my life like they are things because mm-hmm. I'm treating all of these clothes here in this picture? You know, it's been a while. I thought I'd stop by to <laughs> right. see how you were how the doing. the kids? Right. 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 It's like, oh, I'm forsaking the people I love mm. because of the things I think I love. Yeah. Let's do a few more of these real quick. Yeah, so here's one that is plaguing all of us, especially over the last year or so. <laughs> um, so there's a huge box outside this man's home that has been delivered. 
and he's standing in the doorway looking at the box sitting there on his on his uh walkway it says look it's everything we forgot we ordered online this is um this is like a uh drunk shopping yes. cartoon right uh-huh i can't tell you how many stories i've heard where people wake up and they're they have all these boxes and they're like what is this? And then they check their order history and they realize like, oh, I was drunk shopping. Yes. Yeah. And and the argument that I make in the book is, you know, this is the, the survey is I think 44% of people have done drunk shopping in the last year. Right. I, my argument is 100% of us have, have done drunk shopping. We're all drunk shoppers. Yeah, yeah. And I've never been drunk on alcohol, but I can tell you that, that I... I am under the influence of impulse. Mm. And that's a type of drunk. I was drunk on consumerism. Mm. Ooh, drunk on consumerism podcast, Sean. Write that down. Yeah, that's a good title. And, and so being drunk on consumerism, you make some blind purchases. Oh, I need that. I want that. I desire that. That's going to make me more complete. Mm. That's going to make things better. Oh, my life will be improved. In fact, um, just a little more consumerism. Yeah, at the very end of this maximal episode, I want to end with a little couple minute bit from George Carlin called "Advertising and BS," mm. because um, man, he uh, he captures it really well. What advertising does to that impulse, creating that impulse, that act now, supplies are limited. Don't wait. If you act now, you get the free gift sort of thing. Everything that corporations do to encourage impulse, yeah. right? Mm. As opposed to as opposed to encouraging intentionality. It makes me think of uh the term brand loyalty. Oof. And that's just like that term is so off-putting, disgusting. Gross. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's wild. What else right. you got here? This one is um <laughs> this one I think is a perfect encapsulation of what society has done to humanity. Okay. So you got this god looking figure holding a glass of wine uh-huh. with a little angel. Yes. That's also holding a glass of wine. And clearly they're in heaven or somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it says, yeah, they're in heaven, right? It says, I have the vastness of creation replaced. With hardwood floors. I had the vastness of creation replaced with hardwood floors. And so here's the thing. It's like we've gotten so far away from our nature. Yeah. Right. I mean, the reason that we're suffering from so many different things, like even things like toxic mold, like, mm-hmm. yes, mold exists in society, right? Mm-hmm. Or outside of society, in nature, rather. But we've built these perfect structures that that do a great job of trapping mold, you know, black mold in them. Mm-hmm. You know, drywall in particular is right. like the number one offender of this. Oh, wow. And and so we've done this in so many areas of our lives. We've disconnected ourselves from nature. We, we've talked about grounding on the podcast before. You and I are grounding right now. You're on a grounding mm-hmm. mat. I've got these little these little uh, grounding patches plugged into me right now mm-hmm. because we are so disconnected from the earth. Well, why? Because we have replaced the vastness of creation with hardwood floors, metaphorically, and sometimes even literally. I'm standing on a hardwood floor. It makes right me now. think of the uh, put up a parking lot. It's exactly what I thought. Paradise. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, they. Um, that's a remix that. of, of, a, of a of a song, right? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, Big Yellow Taxi, Counting uh, Crows, and Vanessa Carlton, but that's a remake from... I didn't realize that. Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Mitchell. There you go. Interesting. All right. Well, I, 
I got I got a few more here. Okay. So this is me working on our new studio. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, there's a man praying. He's kneeling uh, his bed. On, on his bed. He's got his elbows on the bed. He's got his prayer hands going. Hate to bug you, but it's been a few weeks. Just wondering if there is a tracking number. <laughs> <laughs> When's our new studio table going to show up oh already? Oh, my God. Because then our studio will be complete. That's right. A tracking number on prayers. That's that's good. Yeah. yeah. So uh, last one. This was just reminding me of our corporate days where we tried to encourage consumerism. Mm. You and I ran a bunch of retail stores. Stick needle in their arm. That's Dude, right. That was, I can't believe how many times we used to say that. How do we get them into the door, right? Yeah, stick the needle in their arm, but one it more. And so we used to hire these things. We, we would rent them. They're, they're called air dancers. You remember that? Well, oh, you'll see it yes, in this yeah, cartoon the infl- here. And the inflatable flailing arm men. Yes. Yes. They're dancing wildly because they have this this air mover that is this giant fan that is blowing air into them. <laughs> and so this has uh these inflatable flailing arm men. Yes. And they're the, having a conversation. The air dancers are talking and they're standing in front of a, a used car lot. Yes, where they are known like that's yeah, that's where they usually are in front yes. of a used car lot. And it says, I can't figure out why. We're so excited by used cars. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? Like, we're trying to create excitement around things that aren't exciting. No wonder we're so miserable. Yeah. Excitement is great when it arises naturally. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we start chasing the excitement, and oh, you know what? If I go buy a used car, then that's what's going to make me feel good. Yeah. Well, how long does that last? It lasts only until the next attachment bothers you. Yeah, dude. Oh, uh, I wish I had some dance moves like the inflatable flailing arm men. Dude. Actually, I think your dance moves look just like the, <laughs> the really? air dancers. It's really nice of you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and then I got this. So I really like Design Within Reach. So this is a Design Within Reach little mini insert catalog they sent to me. This segment of The Minimalists brought to you by... No. You're going to have to blur that out if you just saw my address on here, Jordan. Um, but um, I will say this. The one thing that is on here right now... Mm-hmm is let me hold this up for the camera what does that say on the on the cover of this right yeah it says back to life uh-huh yeah so it's a it's an ad i like design within reach that it's relatively affordable well-made yeah. furniture for home and office right yes. and so design within reach is exactly what it it means exactly what it is right it's well designed items so a lot of thought a lot of intentionality mm-hmm. within reach meaning it's affordable yeah it's not 20 grand for a couch right, exactly right. it's also not ikea prices either right right because mm-hmm. it's it's much more sturdy durable long lasting etc yeah but i can still because we don't do any advertising by the way my our uh, our agent called me yesterday mark and he was like yeah i know you guys don't do advertising but isn't there just like I feel like there'd be, there'd be really good fits for you. I'm like, look, Mark, I totally get it. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there are some brands that would fit with our brand. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah, what about Patagonia? Or what about like, and he starts mentioning things. And I'm like, yes, those are all, actually, those are things that I use. Right. Right. But Mark, don't you hate advertisements? Yeah. Don't they still suck? Even if it's, mm-hmm. even if it's for something you dislike or it's something you really like, don't you hate just peppering podcasts and TV shows and Olympics and everything else with all these hideous advertisements, yeah, all this commercialism, all this consumerism. So yes, there are brands out there that align with Ryan's and my values. 
I just don't want to have to sit here and no. read about them. Well, it's even like design within reach. Like, obviously, they're not paying us for an advertisement. But could we, you know, behind the curtains, find ways to talk about things like this naturally and get paid for it? Sure. Yeah, but then we uh, then we're now we're obligated to still talk about that thing. Beholden to it. Yeah, we're like it's nice that we can bring up something like this, mm-hmm. and great if we give them business, great. But like we don't, we're not looking to be compensated for it, and it it just comes up naturally. It's like every dollar. Mm-hmm. It's like I talk about that a lot. And it's an app, well, a financial app. Yeah, it's it's, budgeting it's a budgeting app. app. It's freaking amazing, but. Yeah, I mean, we. I'm, I'm sure we could go to Ramsey and work out some kind of every dollar sponsorship, but it's like, how much more genuine is it knowing that, like, no, it's something that I actually use, and it comes up, when it comes up naturally, that's how it comes up. It's yeah. not this forced thing that we got to do to, you know, back the Brinks, tru- Brinks truck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and same thing is true with this, this, um, this advertisement, I guess. you. It's, it's a, well, it's not, it's a promotional insert. It's not really an advertisement, mm-hmm. but, um, when I look at it, yeah, I like design within reach, but I can also call them out when there's just vapid marketing yeah, nonsense back here. To life. So what does that what does that presuppose? Oh, you weren't living a life the last right. year? And now you can, and you can do it for fifteen percent less than normally. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if you just buy this chair and this desk and this bookcase, then you can get back to life. Get out of here. Exactly. All right, Ryan, we got some surprise questions here that Podcast Sean has dutifully curated for us. Let's start with Danielle's question. Decluttering and cleaning slash organizing my house is a go-to for stress relief for me. Is this a disorder? So this is the one I was talking about that is very similar to you ironing mm-hmm. and, and de-stressing when you iron. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so here's, here's let's talk about the question. Mm. What if I tell you, yes, it is? So what? What are you going to do about it? Yeah, now you're putting a label on it. Are you going to yeah. medicate yourself? Now, if I tell you, no, it isn't, are you going to feel happy because I told you you don't have a disorder? Mm. And so um, what label do you want to put on it? Is there an empowering label? Now, maybe the question behind all of that is, because disorder presupposes what? It's a bad thing. Right. And if I if I say it's not a disorder, then it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a nice thing it's a preferable thing if you feel like it's serving you right if organizing your house and decluttering helps out with stress relief then wonderful it is a tool that benefits you right Mm -hmm. however if it's a compulsion where you can't stop decluttering then it's probably not serving you yeah and that's the question right is it serving you danielle is it affecting your life negatively I'll tell you what, decluttering and cleaning slash organizing is much better than heroin. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you could still take it too far, but that's that's really a perspectival thing, Danielle. You've got to ask yourself, like, is it something that is serving you or not? It sounds like it might be, and that's okay. Um, and if it's serving you right now, wonderful. Continue to question it, because if it stops serving you, or if you do it so much that the quantity of it is no longer serving you. Mm. Maybe decluttering when you were feeling stressed once a week led to you decluttering for six hours a day every day. Mm. Well, now you've turned something that was useful. You know, if you have a a tool, if you have a hammer Mm -hmm. and you use it to hammer in nails occasionally, but if you go around looking for things to hammer all day, eventually you're going to hurt someone. Yeah. And so be careful how you use your tools amen joe has a question for us how does one know when to stop decluttering 
You don't stop until it's all gone, Joe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Multi-tool. You want to be a real minimalist. That's right. How does one know when to stop decluttering? Anything obsessive slash compulsive is not healthy. And since shedding material possessions can be gratifying, it can be addictive. Well, let's let's address the, the question first, and then uh, we can talk about the essence of it. To say something is not healthy is quite often another way to say it's bad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so... Let's let's be careful with that because anything obsessive compulsive is bad. Anything obsessive compulsive is unhealthy. Mm. Okay, um, I, I don't look at it that way. Sometimes my obsessive compulsiveness is is a wonderful gift. Sure, in ways, it's the reason that we've accomplished a lot of the things that we've accomplished. It's yeah. a it's a reason that we have have um, been able to create a podcast and films and the attention to detail and things like that. Uh, Although there are times where it certainly doesn't serve me. Mm -hmm. So it is both, right? Mm. What did uh, Andrew Schultz say when he's on our podcast? It is and it isn't, right? And so it can be very beneficial. It can also be stifling depending on, well, depending on the level of it, really. Yeah. So when when does one know to stop decluttering? Mm. I mean... You just got to go back to asking yourself that question. Like, is this serving me or isn't? And if it is a compulsion, like if you're turning into a, a Spartan, then that's maybe where you ask yourself, like, is it appropriate to actually get rid of these things? I got to um, ask myself, why am I decluttering? Yes. Right? Yeah. And so if I, if I look at an item and I say, well, I'm decluttering this timer, which I'm looking at right here, right now. This timer, I'm decluttering because I'm supposed to have fewer items. Mm. That is not a very good reason to declutter, right? Right. If it's, oh, you know, I'm getting rid of this timer because it's been broken for three months and I tried to fix it and it's not fixed. Okay, well, then it's not serving me anymore. It makes sense to declutter it. Mm. So why are you decluttering this stuff? Is it because you feel a compulsion that you're supposed to do something? There is no supposed to declutter. There are things that are in the way, and if they're in the way for you, then perhaps letting go of them will make room for less stress, for a calmer life. Yeah. Melody has a question for us. How do I combat my years of programming to keep things like it's a a tradition? Is my struggle dealing with other people's expectations of what makes a home? So Melody sounds like she's having trouble letting go of things because of how others perceive her life. Yeah, is my struggle dealing with other people's expectations of what makes a home a home Mm -hmm. sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if other people have an expectation a home looks like this, but that doesn't serve you, Mm -hmm. then it is disempowering. What you're trying to do is fulfill someone else's expectations. Sometimes we talk about the difference between standards and expectations. I was thinking about it differently a little bit this morning. So a standard is something that I sort of have for myself. Here is the standard of my home. You know, you come to my home occasionally. You're like one of the few people who ever comes over to my house that <laughs> mm-hmm. that uh, I let in the home. Mm-hmm. And it's always at a has a particular standard, right? Yeah. I don't have that same expectation of your home or of Sean's home. Having an expectation would be Oh, yeah, everyone should do this, right? right? No, this is my particular standard. And as soon as I prescribe that standard to others, it becomes an expectation. Mm. The weird thing about those expectations that Melody's talking about is their expectations aren't just making them miserable. They're actually making you miserable right now because you've picked them up as a prescription. So instead of what is their expectation, 
what is your standard? Yeah. And, and meeting that standard, why is that my standard too? But meeting that standard is going to be much more beneficial for you than trying to appease everyone else by meeting their expectations. Yeah, totally agree. We have yeah. a question here from Alice. Is there a danger in the decluttering high many of us experience when we're decluttering and donating items? I think anytime you're feeling high, it's dangerous, right? Yeah. Like no matter what kind of high you're getting, it's something that you have to ask yourself like, am I chasing this or is this arising naturally? Yes. So is it okay to get high? Sure. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to like constantly chase that high feeling? I mean, th- taking the value judgment out of it, it's, it's not healthy. It's, it's a, it's a pleasure chase. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's different from when I first started letting go, I noticed I was feeling freer, happier and lighter. Mm-hmm. And at first I mistook it as though letting go of the things is what was making me feel that pleasure. Mm. But that wasn't it. It, Because then I started chasing it. Oh, if I get rid of more stuff, that's where the Spartanism thing comes in. If I get rid of more, then I will feel what? Even happier. Mm. No, 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 no. I was uncovering the happiness that was already there. And then as soon as you try to chase it, man, it disappears like, that yeah question from ann how do you live as a minimalist with a hoarder my boyfriend is the worst accumulator of crap i've ever seen <laughs> there's some something much deeper going on than hoarding here mm-hmm. our house is littered with the remains of all the hobbies he tried to start every time amazon every time amazon comes i groan all right well let's let's talk about this so there could be a compatibility issue here in relationships, there are sort of three things that are the glue of any relationship. There is chemistry. That's how relationships often start, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can even think of these as sort of like the head, the heart, and the genitalia. <laughs> That's how I look at everything. <laughs> <laughs> and and with you know, the chemistry, obviously, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm attracted to you. Yes. Now, that can be sexual attraction, but it can also just be there are certain people who are magnetic, right? Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't have to be a sexual attraction, but there's a chemistry between the dynamic of, of two different people, right? Yes. The chemistry you notice right away. So this is the genitals we're talking about? <laughs> we're talking about your genitals, Ryan. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to derail you. All right, continue. All right, yes, so, so, so we're talking about chemistry. Yeah. And we often mistake that chemistry mm-hmm. as what? Oh, compatibility. Right. That's the second component, right? Yes. Now, that is the head, the right. compatibility. Right. Do we have the same interests? Do we have the same wants, the, 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 the desires, the mm. hobbies? Same values. The, yeah, the same values, the same preferences, right? Mm-hmm. Where do, how do we align in those areas, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a third one, and it's love. That's the heart, yeah. right? And that's seeing things for how they are without trying to change them. Mm. And so I hate to inform you, but if you hope to change him, then you're lacking the love component as well. Mm. 
Now, I understand the desire to want to change someone. Well, where does that come from? It comes from a particular sort of self-righteousness, yeah. right? And we all experience some sort of self-righteousness. Some, some of us experience different from others. Yeah. We were talking about the Enneagram recently, but Ryan, you are a seven. When a seven gets stressed, he turns into a one, mm-hmm. which is the perfectionist, yeah. which is a really nice way to say the self-righteous person, <laughs> which is really a way, if we take, out the, take, take that out, and it turns into binary thinking. Yeah. It's really the way to look at that. Yeah. And and so because you're the enthusiast, you don't have the you don't typically have the binary thinking. You it's the imbibing on life, it's the the happy go lucky seven, right? Yeah. But when you get stressed, it's right and wrong, black and white, yes or no. Yeah. But life doesn't work that way, mm. right? And so it's not that you're a minimalist and he's a hoarder and then now you're going to make him a minimalist or he's going to make you a hoarder or you're going to be discontented. No, if you're lacking compatibility, then you're probably going to be discontented. Now, does that mean I'm telling you to break up with your boyfriend? No, but the problem here is that you hope to convince him yeah. that he should behave otherwise. You're helping her see it for what it is. Yes. There is no right or wrong here. It's it's a matter of like you live with someone who is a hoarder and you have a choice. You can either uh love them and and really it makes me think of the Terra acronym, right? You tolerate, you you uh accept, you respect and then you even get to a point of appreciation and I think when you truly love someone, you get to that point of appreciation. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm trying to put myself in her shoes like let's say Mariah started to be a hoarder. Yes. I actually love Mariah so much. I would be like, okay, we have to live in separate. I'll still be your husband. We can still be romantic partners, but we will have to live in separate houses. And I mean, that's what it would eventually come. But I would, but that would actually be in a weird way, supporting her of of being like, Hey, I think that you should have whatever horde you want to have. But unfortunately, like I cannot live in, in a hoarder's house. Yeah. So is this, is this mean you go to your boyfriend and you tell them, Hey, I can't live in. No, that's not it at all. I'm just taking it kind of to the extreme here. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, but you can certainly go to your boyfriend and say, Hey, like I really love you. I want to, I want to support you as much as I can. And, uh, I'm trying to do that, but I also need some support as well. Mm-hmm. And that's really how the, the, that's the best way to gain support and to gain respect from your partner. You have to go out of your way to respect and to support your partner. If you're not doing anything to respect or support them, then of course they're not going to want to reciprocate at all. Yeah. And I think where we get into trouble is when we accidentally place ourselves on that pedestal. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so when I, when I read the question, my boyfriend is the worst accumulator of crap I've ever seen. Yeah. Okay. Maybe he's the best accumulator of crap you've ever seen. I'm just imagining like piles of shit in all the rooms. <laughs> <laughs> That's stage five. Right. That is stage five hoarding. Yeah. And, and so, yes, we, we've talked during this whole Maximal episode, we've talked about Spartanism, obsessive compulsive decluttering. But the other side of that is the obsessive compulsive hoarding. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, maybe he has some sort of OCD like I have, mm. and it is manifesting by the holding on to items right now can you help him see the truth yes without having to convince him you can help him see the truth what is the truth the externalities are not going to make you more complete they're not going to make you happier they're not going to make you more joyous Mm -hmm. at best your material possessions can enhance your life or amplify your life at the very best how because each item 
that has some sort of value, serves some sort of purpose. It adds value to your life in some way. Mm-hmm. But if you're hoarding, if you're truly a hoarder, most of your things, virtually all of your things are the opposite of that. Yeah. They're not adding value. So maybe, and maybe your boyfriend is actually getting value from these things. Maybe he's a bit of a maximalist and not a hoarder. And if he's getting value from those things, then you have a fundamental compatibility issue. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you should break up with him. It means understanding the breakdown in compatibility. And if you expect him to change or he expects you to change, you're both going to get dragged in that direction until you realize that's not going to be possible. Man, it makes me think, and I'm not saying that this is the case here with Anne, but it just makes me think of how there are relationships I stayed in where there wasn't compatibility, and I stayed in it because... Well, for a lot of reasons, like A, um, I didn't want to fail, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think I could do any better. I, it was convenient. That's probably the number one thing is it was convenient to stay with that person. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm not, again, I'm not saying this is the problem with Anne, but for myself, it was like, I don't know, man. Like just, you have to come to realization of like, do I, am I okay staying in this relationship that I feel is, I'm trying not to say mediocre, but I can't think of another word. But that's what I would do. You say it's making me miserable. Right, exactly, yeah. Am I okay to stay in this relationship that's making me miserable? Um, If the answer is yes, then great. Stay in the relationship. So be it. Yeah, so be it. We have another question here from Rachel. Is compulsive decluttering such a bad thing? I grew up in a knick-knack hell. (laughs) (laughs) I used to have plenty of things until I lost it all at once. It was so freeing. Mm. Yeah, so we have a story in Love People Use Things about the Kirkendalls dolls and they lose everything in a dumpster fire, which isn't that funny how we use that to describe, it's like a pejorative. Whoa, what a dumpster fire that was. Right. But for them, losing everything in a dumpster fire was actually freeing Yeah, in a way. And so is compulsive decluttering such a bad thing? Well, no, it's not bad, but it probably doesn't serve you if it's, if it's compulsive. Mm. Decluttering can serve you. If you can't not declutter mm-hmm. all the time, then it's not that it's bad. It's not immoral. You're not harming anyone. But you're also probably not living the best version of the life you want to live. Totally agree. We have a question here from Dana. When does death cleaning veer off into obsessive compulsive Spartanism? In my zeal to alleviate the burden of those who must tidy up after my death, I often ask myself of objects I truly love. Should I get rid of it now because I can't take it with me anyway? I don't want to leave a mess, but I don't want to feel as if I live in a nursing home environment either. Mm. So you've got this this concept of death cleaning, which I've heard of. And so basically people don't want to burden the people who are in their life after they die, right? Yeah. So uh, it, I think a good example of this was with my mom. Like she inadvertently burdened me with a lot of stuff that I had to deal with. Right. Mm. And a lot of people see our film and they, they come up to me and they're like, Hey, now that I saw that, I, I don't want to leave the same mess to my kids. And my mom didn't do it intentionally. She wasn't trying to burden me, but these, the intention doesn't really matter. What matters is that, yeah, you don't, you're not going to take it with you. 
You know, you're not going to bury yourself with all the stuff. Yeah. And so I think, I think it's admirable that you've decided, hey, I don't want to be a burden on the people I love. That's admirable in life and it's admirable in death as well. Yeah. That's not the problem here. What's the problem? The problem is I often ask myself of objects I truly love. Mm. It's the loving of objects. Yeah. I mean, I think Dana probably means objects I truly enjoy, but she did use the word love. And, you know, unfortunately, like the, the word love is just kind of thrown around uh, without much thought. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it is easy to truly enjoy or to truly appreciate an object. But, yeah, if you're telling yourself you love an object, I mean, that's almost you're kind of, you're just disempowering yourself. Well, when most of us talk about love, what are we talking about? We're actually talking about attachment. Yeah. And so maybe... Extreme like. (laughs) Yes, which is a type of attachment. Right. And so when I think about it this way, it's like, okay, these are items I extremely like. Okay. I truly like. Or maybe the way to really look at it, and this could help the illusion begin to fade. Hmm. What if instead of saying... I often ask myself of objects I truly love. You say, I often ask myself of objects I'm truly attached to. Mm. What does that do? Should I get rid of this item now? Because I can't take it with me anyway? Now, the answer sometimes to that is going to be, no, I'm getting immense joy from it. You don't want to embrace Spartanism because I need to get rid of everything. I need to get rid of it now. What are the objects that are serving you now? Those are the things that I want in my life because I don't mm. want to be an ascetic. I do want to have the couch over here and speak at this table. And I, I want to have a dining room table at home and a bed at home. And strictly speaking, I can live without those things. Yeah. But they add value to my life. And if I were to die today, yeah, unfortunately, you and Bex or whomever are going to have to deal with the things that I've accumulated, right? Yeah. But you're not going to deal with any excess stuff. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the key. Is yeah, Dana, like what what stuff is 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 excess right now? Um I I think about all the boundaries and the rules that we have in love people use things. Yes. I mean, that's something go to the minimalists.com forward slash rules. Rule book. Rule book. Yeah. Download the free uh it's sixteen yeah. rules for living with less. It, They're also in love people use things. You can find them either place. Yeah. And you can look at those rules and you can say, hey, these are good rules. I'm going to apply them to my life. Or you can, uh, you can edit them to fit your life. You know, the 90-90 rule for us says, hey, we can pick up any object and ask ourselves, have we used it in the last 90 days? Are we going to use it in the next 90 days? Maybe that's the 120-120 rule for you. That's okay. Yes. But the boundaries are really what's going to set you free here, Dana. And I think anyone would, would be better served by having an understanding first and then approaching those rules, yes. right? Yeah. Because your problem isn't a lack of dogma in your life, right? And right. that's the last thing Ryan and I want to do is create a specific dogma and you must stick to these. Mm-hmm. As Ryan said, they're boundaries, right? We call them rules because that's what you know people identify with in terms of language, mm-hmm. right? But you don't have to follow any of them. Yeah. And we're not going to be mad if you follow three of them and discard the other 13, and by the way, we've got way more than, Ryan and I have way more than 16 now as yeah. well. It's just those are the ones that, that really stand out. Let's end here with perhaps my favorite question from <laughs> Leslie at the very bottom. <laughs> Who decides what normal clutter is? Me. Yeah, and me. 
And Leslie. Yes. Yeah. And actually, here's the weird thing. So I say me jokingly, but it's actually no one. Here's why. Mm. There is no normal. Normal is a regression to the mean. Yeah, normal is 300,000 items. That's, ex- that's exactly <laughs> right. So that, because it's the average, right. which is the mean, so the regression to the mean. So if you want to be normal, normal is broke. Normal is stressed. Normal is overwhelmed. Normal is discontent. Normal is overweight. Normal is out of shape. Mm. Normal is miserable. So if you want to be normal, have at it. Who decides what normal clutter is? Well, you get to decide how much clutter, how many things you want in your life. You get to decide what is clutter. Because you might go to Ryan's house and say, oh, wow, this is incredibly clutter-free. I might go there and say, for me, this would be a, a, a little bit of clutter. Sure. And it's because, and he might do the same thing when he comes to my house. Why do you have all these books? Mm-hmm. And, and it's because... Well, what is normal for me may be abnormal for you. The problem we have here, Ryan, is that word normal. We treat it as though it's good. It is good to be normal. However, we still all have the need to what? Be significant. Yeah. To be, what's another way to say that? To be abnormal. Mm. To be different from the norm. Mm. So you can be different from the norm. And the way to do that is to get rid of the excess because normal is excessive. Yeah. Leslie, I think the more empowering question here is who decides what appropriate clutter is? And that is answered on an individual level. So maybe even the more empowering question is, is who decides what the appropriate clutter is for my life? Leslie, that is you. Yes. But if you want normal, well, 300,000 items. That's the normal. That's not something to live up to, though, in my book. Well, Ryan, I want to wrap up today with George Carlin because he has this great bit about advertising since we talked about advertising a little bit. This is called Advertising and BS. Patrons, thank you so much. We enjoy you. We appreciate you. Yeah. We love you. Thank you so much. I call this piece Advertising. Quality, value, style, service, selection, convenience, economy, savings, performance, experience, hospitality, low rates, friendly service, name brands, easy terms, affordable prices, money-back guarantee, free installation. (laughs) Free admission, free appraisal, free alterations, free delivery, free estimates, free home trial, and free parking. No cash? No problem. No kidding. No fuss, no muss, no risk, no obligation, no red tape, no hidden charges, no down payment, no entry fee, no purchase necessary, no one will call on you, no payments or interest till December, and no parking. <laughs> Limited time only, though, so act now, order today, send no money, offer good while supplies last, two to a customer, each item sold separately, batteries not included, mileage may vary. <laughs> All sales are final, allow six weeks for delivery, some items not available, some assembly required, some restrictions may apply. Shop by mail, order by phone, try it in your home, get one for your car. All entries become our property, employees not eligible, entry fees not refundable, local restrictions apply, void where prohibited, except in Indiana. 
So come on in. Come on in for a free demonstration and a free consultation with our friendly professional staff. Our courteous and knowledgeable sales representatives will help you make a selection that's just right for you and just right for your budget. And say, don't forget to pick up your free gift. A classic, deluxe, custom, designer, luxury, prestige, high-quality, premium, select, gourmet, pocket flashlight. And, and if you act now, we'll include an extra added free complimentary bonus gift. A classic, deluxe, custom, designer, luxury, prestige, high-quality, premium, select, gourmet, leather-style wallet with detachable keychain and a pencil holder. It's our way of saying thank you. And if you're not completely satisfied, you pay nothing. Simply return the unused portion for a full refund. No questions asked. It's our way of saying thank you. Keep your free gift. Actually, it's our way of saying bend over just a little further and let us stick this big dick into your ass a little bit deeper. You know, whenever you're exposed to advertising in this country, you realize all over again that America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. <laughs> High-quality bullshit. World-class designer bullshit, to be sure. Hospital-tested, clinically proven bullshit. But bullshit nonetheless. And it always amuses me that so many people seem to think that bullshit only comes from certain sources. You know, advertising, politicians, salesmen. Not true. Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Parents are full of shit. Teachers are full of shit. Clergymen are full of shit. Law enforcement people are full of shit. The entire country is completely full of shit. In fact, this country was founded by a group of slave owners who told us that all men are created equal. That is what's known as being stunningly, stunningly full of shit. And you know, I think... Uh, and I think people show their ignorance when they say they want politicians to be honest. What are these people talking about? If honesty were suddenly introduced into politics, it would throw everything off. The whole system would collapse. And I think deep down the American people know that. The American people like their bullshit out front where they can get a good strong whiff of it. That's why they reelected Clinton. Listen. Clinton might be full of shit, but he lets you know it. Dole tried to hide it. I'm an honest man. Bullshit. Bullshit. People don't believe that shit. Clinton said, hi, I'm full of shit, and how do you like that? And the people said, at least he's honest. At least he's honest about being full of shit. It's like the business world. All businessmen are completely full of shit. Just the worst kind of people you could ever want to run into. Businessmen. And the proof of it is, they don't even trust each other. They don't trust each other. When a businessman is negotiating a deal, the first thing he does is to automatically assume that the other guy is a complete lying prick who's trying to fuck him on the deal. So he has to do everything he can to fuck the other guy a little bit harder and a little bit faster. 
And then, when it comes to dealing with customers, that's when you get the big smile. That's when you get the big smile. Businessman always has that big smile on his face as he carefully positions himself directly behind the customer and unzips his pants and services the account. We specialize in customer service. You heard that? Now you know what it means. Whoever coined the phrase, let the buyer beware, was probably bleeding from the asshole. Then you have advertising. Advertising is the businessman's cheaply dressed $2 blowjob. Advertising sells you things you don't need and can't afford that are overpriced and don't work. And they do it by exploiting your fears and insecurities. And if you don't have any, they'll be glad to give you a few by showing you a nice picture of a woman with big tits. That's the essence of advertising. Big tits. Threateningly big tits. And speaking of big tits, what about show business? Show business, completely dishonest, corrupt, and full of shit, but in a nice way. Plenty of expensive drugs and perverted sex. If you're gonna be full of shit, might as well enjoy your work. <laughs> then you have the media. Not just the news media, let's include them all. The media are almost literally exploding with bullshit. Because they're located right at the crossroads of all the other bullshit. The media are made up of equal parts, advertising, politics, business, public relations, and show business. These people are sitting right at Bullshit Junction. There's enough bullshit in the media for Texas to open a branch office. And you still have enough left over to start two law firms and a Christian bookstore. Because... Because, folks, I gotta tell you, when it comes to bullshit, truly Major League bullshit, you have to stand back in awe, in awe of the all-time heavyweight champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. Organized religion. It's no contest. Religion easily, easily has the best bullshit story of all time. Think about it. Religion has convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day and the invisible man has a list of ten specific things he doesn't want you to do and if you do any of these things he will send you to a special place of burning and fire and smoke and torture and anguish for you to live forever and suffer and burn and scream until the end of time. But he loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing and all-wise 
just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions and billions of dollars, they pay no taxes, and somehow they always need money. You talk about a good bullshit story. If I may be permitted a small pun, holy shit. Holy shit. The Minimalists. <laughs>